This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Concord Motorhomes by Coachman. Concord Motorhomes. You can cook, you can take a shower, you can watch TV, and by God, you can hang a left if you feel like it. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, 1980's Terror Train and 2007's The Signal. I don't think I've even heard of The Signal. Terror Train, however, is one of our faves. We love Terror Train. Yep. And that's what we're going to get into. Before we get too deep, though, I'd just like to apologize in advance. Do you hear that? I said I'd like to apologize in advance because I am sick. <laughs> Kelsey gave it to me. Yep. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I have a week off between Christmas and New Year's and I'm spending that week sick. Yeah. Hooray. <laughs> All right. Terror Train. Kelsey. Yes. What's the premise of Terror Train? A group of college frat and sorority kids are on a train to celebrate New Year's. And there is a killer on the loose. So cool. All right. So if you haven't already, you definitely should watch Terror Train. We watched it on Amazon Prime. It is available for free there uh, if you're already a subscriber. So go ahead and watch now. And when we come back, we'll talk about 1980s Terror Train. 20th Century Fox invites you to join the boys and girls of Sigma Phi for their annual New Year's Eve party. This year is a masquerade on wheels, and the person behind you could be your best friend or the last person you see on Earth. Experience the most terrifying ride of your life on the Terror Train, rated R. Starts October 3rd at a selected theater near you. Kelsey. Yes. What's the story of Terror Train? So we open up with, we're at a frat party. It's a New Year's Eve party. Yes. And there's a kid there who is a freshman. And he's got to wear this hat until he has sex. All the kids who haven't had sex yet have to continue to wear a beanie. Until they give up their flower. (laughs) I don't know if it's... You know what, I'm going to use that term anyway for the dudes. <laughs> uh, at which point they can take off the beanie, so it's a point of contention. They're trying to get this one kid, Kenny Hampson, laid, and they have enlisted the help of Elena, Jamie Lee Curtis, who I should probably point out was already basically a scream queen, like the original scream queen, because... This is the same year that Prom Night came out, right? So, Halloween was 1978. The Fog was 1980. Prom Night was 1980. Terror Train was 1980. After that, in 81, she was in Road Games and Halloween 2. So, from 1978 until 1981, she was in six horror movies. (laughs) So, she was absolutely a scream queen. This was like smack dab in the middle of that. So, she was very... Popular for being in horror movies. And what is she going to do? So it's this huge prank that they want to pull on this poor kid, Kenny. 
And she's been enlisted to, he thinks he's going to have sex with her. So she's in the room and she's going to talk as if she's the one laying in the bed. Now, as far as she knows, it's a real person. But it's just going to be somebody else. Yeah. But that's where my confusion is because it's like, well, then why would you even need to be in the room? Does he know your voice that well? But the joke ends up being it's a it's a corpse because yeah. these are all pre-med kids. Yeah. And one of them has a job as, a, as like a janitor at like a hospital. And he had the ability to get hold of yeah. body parts. Yeah, he has parts. an internship in a coroner's office or something like that, yeah. And it ends up being a dead body. And the kid flips out when he realizes as anyone would it's a really right. fucked no, up that's, prank it's real fucked up and doc is that kind of guy yeah he's an asshole he doesn't care what anybody thinks he just wants to do he loves best playing pranks and he's he's just a petulant child too yeah he is so anyway that is the flashback and then three years later they're getting on this train for New Year's. It's their last New Year's celebration. As pre-med. As pre-med. They're going to go into med school. They're going to graduate from college and go into med school. And this is their last New Year's celebration. It's a big deal. They're going to get on a train and celebrate on a train. And a bunch of them are graduating early. So that helps make it make more sense that this is such a big deal. Because yeah, for a uh, lot of them, this is going to be their last big frat party. Uh, uh, does med school have... Frats? I don't, I don't know. know. I, I don't know. know. <laughs> Never went to med school. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really fucked up. And uh, you find out later, way later in the movie, that the guy that they pulled the prank on and the whole joke was that he was kind of this goofy looking weird kid, which first off, how did he get into a frat is my question. But whatever. So... It ends up being that he was in some sort of accident earlier in life where the other person ended up dying, and there was a lot of belief that he was the cause of yeah. the person dying. And so, so obviously there was something wrong with and him. And he, he goes nuts. He loses it, we find out later, mm -hmm. that he went to psychiatric care, and Lena tried to actually visit him, but the doctors wouldn't let her. Mm -hmm. She was the only one who seemed to care about this guy. Well, she didn't want to do the prank in the first place. Right. She thought she thought the tame version of the prank was too shitty. much, but yeah. she was going along with it. It was her sorority sisters. And... It was her. She's a freshman. Yeah. yeah uh -huh. Okay. So cut to three years later. They're getting on this big uh, train, and we see all the same characters that we just saw three yeah. years ago, and it's a costume party. Yes, which is very important. It is. So they get on the train, and there's this one guy who's dressed up as... Do you Groucho know? Marx. Oh, is it Groucho Marx? Okay. Yeah. So he's supposed to be Groucho Marx, so he's got this full-blown face mask on. It's the one you're going to see on the cover of the movie, and it's the first actual kill that we see mm -hmm. where he takes this costume. It's a really neat convention where almost everyone he kills, he takes their outfit. Yeah. And, and so then he, he goes can around. pretend like he's them, yeah. and no one gets suspicious right. of anything. So Groucho Marx, I'm not sure who he was in the first scene. He might have just been one of the friends that was just talking yeah. to them. All the people who die are all people that were in on the prank. Yeah. So he is dressed up as Groucho Marx, and he keeps making all these jokes. So when they see him later, and he's got a sword through him, they think it's a joke, and everybody just walks away. Hey, look at it! Ah! Oh, 
murdered he was murdered with one of the swords from this is like a dead giveaway but you have to know it's coming the sword comes from the magician's act mm-hmm. at a point slightly later there's an offhanded remark about how something's wrong with the sword in the box setup and like something's out of place and we know that's because that was used to kill the dude and then he's rolled under the wheels of the train and and gets crushed crushed by the train right as they're closing down the station for the night so yeah well you have to know about this train and the movie does a lot of explanation (laughs) the train is just an excursion train it only goes from point a to point b and it's not meant for traveling or any of that. So yeah. the people that, when they shut it down, it makes sense because they're not going to have any other trains coming out of it. Right. And uh, they're going to be on this train when it strikes midnight, which I feel like it's worth pointing out, we never experience in the movie. If it ever hits midnight, nobody notices. It's so bizarre. Right. Because, well, sh- shit goes to hell. But, I mean, what time midnight. did they get on this train? <laughs> How early did they get yeah, on this? Yeah, it feels like they got on at like six o'clock and then they were <laughs> on this train for like six hours before midnight. Because there's partying, there's a band, there's the magical act twice, there's the band multiple times. It's a long time before midnight's going to actually hit. So we meet our characters. There's a girl named Mitchie who is Jamie Lee Curtis's best friend. She's yeah. dating Doc. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis is dating another guy that's dressed up as a pirate. She's dressed up as a pirate, so it's kind of cute. I didn't even notice that. (laughs) That's really cute, yeah. Yeah. So, when Jamie Lee Curtis finds out that Doc was behind the idea for the train, she gets pissed because she doesn't like to do anything that Doc does. Ever since that practical joke, she really hates Doc. Yeah. And Doc and Mo are best friends. So it's a problem. And and Doc even points out at one point that he's the brains and Mo is the money. Mo's the one with the bread. I've got all the ideas. I missed that one. Yeah, Mo is Mo has the money and he pays for things and Doc's the one who comes up with the ideas. He's the idea man. Mm. And so Doc or Doc is the one who thought of it and planned it. Mo's the one who made the arrangements. And so she's like, no, this sucks. I'm really pissed that you lied to me. And Doc gives uh, Elena, Jamie Lee Curtis, like a really hard time about it. And Mo says this really weird thing. Like he's finally kind of had it with Doc at this point. And he says to him, I'll get you for this one, Doc. Because he's a parrot. And then he turns around and says, I mean it this time. I'll get you for this one, Doc. I mean it this time. I didn't know if they were trying to make us think that he was the murderer at that point. I didn't, I didn't get that impression. I, I, I felt like it was just, you've gone too far at this point, Doc. I just love that throughout the film, you're supposed to be wondering who it is. Yeah. And I think the first time I saw this, I was just like, wait. Am I supposed to be confused about who it is? Am I not supposed to think it's the kid who they did the prank on? Right. Why wouldn't it be this kid? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's probably the biggest failing. The question then becomes, probably about halfway through the movie, once Jamie Lee Curtis knows that there's a killer, right? 
the question becomes, who is Kenny? Like, she, like, knows it's Kenny. And then she decides, oh, it's the magician. Because they pull out the old yearbook, yearbook and they see that he was involved in magic yeah. beforehand. And there's the fact that nobody knows who who hired the magician. Right. It's an interesting Doc thing that just hates a, ma magic. It's like a throwaway line. He loves pranks. He doesn't like magic. And and Moe's like, well, then why'd you hire him? And he's like, I didn't. Hey, wait a minute. We didn't hire a magician. Well, maybe somebody else had a good idea for change. Hmm? And so it's really, it's I, I like, I really like that setup, but it's very kind of throwaway at this well, point. Well, because Mo says it's just a chance for Mo to be like, well, it looks like somebody else had the better idea than you this time. Yeah, uh-huh. And that's where it gets left at, because uh -huh. they're more concerned about their anger at each other right. than they are about the fact that, who the fuck hired this and, but, magician? But that's the thing, is it doesn't really plant that question in the idea of the audience, um, where it really should. You know, they don't even explain, okay, well, then if nobody did, how did the magician get the gig on board and and the reason is is because you're supposed to think that the magician is the killer now this is where we get to talk about david copperfield <laughs> this is david copperfield's only like movie role good. it's like his only acting it's a good thing but he is a performer <laughs> kelsey didn't know who he was i heard the name before aside from it being the main character of that book David Copperfield. Is that what it's called? That's what it's called, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I knew that it was a character, but I, I had I knew that there was a magician, but like I didn't know if it was actually him or not. Yeah, no, it was it was actually David Copperfield. And Because it's so ridiculous. Oh, he has some intense looks. <laughs> but it's all 70s out and shit, and it's just like, is this a joke? Yeah, there is some Wakachika music when he starts his actual <laughs> act and he's not doing the close-up magic when he starts his act. It's so brilliant. <laughs> it's so awesome. I love that music. So we're supposed to think that he's the the killer, and then you think, oh, well, he just hired himself. He showed up as the act. But here's my question to that, and I remember thinking this the first time I saw it. Do you think he went through crazy plastic surgery? Why do you think this is the same person? They are right, obviously not been, the same person. It's only been three years. Yeah. So that doesn't really explain it. So let's probably, let's get to who the killer is. Okay. At this point, so the Groucho Marx has been killed. The dude in the lizard suit has been killed. Mitchie's and, been killed. Yeah, Mitchie's been killed. They, Moe's been killed. Mo gets killed, but that's when it's like big and public, right? But before that, so the dude in the lizard suit gets killed and he gets killed in the restroom and that's what really elongates the mystery because the the, the room stays locked for so long mm -hmm. and then finally the conductor tries to get into it and he's like holy shit he's like there's a murderer right no he doesn't think it's a murder he he thinks that the guy got drunk right right fell right. So hit there's, his there's, head somebody's dead he brings uh one of his crew back to take a look and help deal with the, the issue and the killer's gotten himself into the outfit, cleaned up the whole entire it's bathroom. It's a little hard to believe. Right. And pours alcohol everywhere to make it smell like he's just been drinking too much. And so the guy's like, no, something's wrong here, but he doesn't know what. He's, oh, I wrote it down. Why they wouldn't take the mask off of him, though, and be like, son, shape up. I don't know. He says, something's happened here. Some kind of practical joke. 
is it Doc? Is Doc the one? That's what the conductor says. Right, the conductor right, right. doesn't no, know, I know these characters. He, I know, but it, we're supposed to think he uses that term, so we think that. Um... But of course, we know who it is, so our minds don't go there. So I want to talk a little bit about the masks here, because it is with the murder of the guy in the lizard outfit that we get this moment. The masks are really cool. The two main ones we see, well, I guess there are three main ones. The first one is Groucho Marx, and he gives these looks. You can see his eyes cut through, and it is so fucking creepy. <laughs> so all you really see on the cover of the movie is just the mask. Like, the, there's obviously a dude wearing a mask, but you don't get just how creepy this guy looks in this mask. It is so good. When he kills the dude in the lizard outfit, he takes his mask off. And shows it to him to show that like he has he's going to kill this guy, but he has this compulsion to say, look who it is that's killing you. So he can be like, you deserve this. You remember me? This is what you get. Like that's part of his motivation is them knowing who he is and why he's doing it. He wants them to know. But we still don't know what he looks like. And that's for good reason. The killer is, it turns out. The magician's assistant, who, as far as we know, is a woman. Now, the reason it's not really evident is because for almost all of the movie, she is filmed in a long shot. So she's like far away or she's a medium shot at best. And so you never really get a close look, which is good because if you did, it would be very obvious. Right. Once you know... That it's him, you can totally tell. Right, because you see the kid in the intro to the movie. You know what he looks like. And doesn't look that much different as a woman. Now, what they're not really clear on here is, is this the life he leads? Like, is he transgendered? The best we could come up with is, this is what he does. He's been with this magician at least for a little while and took this as an opportunity. And we know they didn't hire the magician. So it's not like he needed to know they were going to hire a magician ahead of time. So he could have only been with this guy for two weeks or something like that. No, the odds are he's this is what he does for a living now. And he's been waiting for a time. To right. And now he sees this as an opportunity and he's like, oh. I'm going to act like we've been hired on this train. The magician's not going to know any better. Uh, he's going to think he's been hired. My best guess is yes, that the killer is transgender. But we don't know. Like, that's all just our own backstory making of our own devices. Because the movie just straight up doesn't tell you. But if it is, it's a little bit of a bummer that it plays into this whole transgender scare horror movie trope. Like sleepaway camp and others where it's like it's just an opportunity all the movies using it as is as a distraction like to it's just a way to get him in there without them knowing who he is and without the audience and so that's just a way to like they don't even see this as it's not designed to be like oh my god the, that woman's really a man like they don't really accentuate it like that yeah but Unfortunately, that is kind of what's happening is it's used as like a ha tricked you. And then it's the whole trap thing, which is this awful transgender stereotype. And you should know listeners out there, if you're transgendered, like you do you like be who you need to be. That's totally awesome. And we love you. 
it's just a bummer that back in 1980, uh, there were weird views on this kind of stuff, and it, it must have been really shitty for, for transgender people back then. We still don't even know that the magician is killed, because the magician is killed at one point, and we don't know. And everyone thinks that it is... The magician. the magician. So they get all the people out of the room where the magician is. And the train and everything. Well, that's before. So yeah. when they when they discover the dead body of Mo, they finally stop the train. Because Mo's killed. In front of everyone. In front of everyone. But nobody sees it. Yeah. And nobody believes it because it's Doc that's they telling everyone. They think it's everyone. a prank. Yeah. So they stop the train and everybody has to get off and everybody's freezing and they can't just stay outside because it's way too cold. Yeah. So they are forced to get back on the train. And Jamie Lee Curtis tells the conductor, I think it's the magician. So he clears everybody out of the, ch- the magician's Including room. Including the magician's assistant. And at that point, the magician had already been killed. Yeah. And and the magician's assistant calls back and is like, hey, they made some coffee. I'll get you a cup. He even sounds like a woman. I wonder yeah. if that's really his voice. I didn't look it up. My guess is yes. It's extremely feminine sounding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when he talks normally, he sounds weird, too. Yeah. So, who knows? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, he's the character's supposed to be crazy, and this is kind of what we're talking about, is, oh, in order to be transgendered, you must be insane! Exactly. You know, it's, oh, it's really fucking shitty. We're sorry. But so, she's let out of the room, and that is what allows her to come after Doc. And yeah. then And then subsequently... Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. And this is when he's in his third major outfit, which is the old man with the white hair. And... I think it's an old woman. I think that was, I think Mitchie was wearing that at some point. Right, no, I think she was supposed to be an old man with, with pants up to her elbows and no, stuff no, like no. that. No, 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 that was, that was the floozy who was dating the guy that was dressed up oh, as Groucho right, Marx. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. Okay, I don't remember what Mitchie was dressed as. I think she was wearing the old woman's mask. Oh, she was a witch. Remember? She had the witch hat. Right, she had the broom. Right. The, co- the mask was to be it was supposed to be a witch's face. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, and this is the last outf- outfit. And Kenny ends up killing Doc as well and going after Jamie Lee Curtis. And it's really weird because the end of this movie took us both by surprise. We had both seen it before. And neither of us remembered... That it was extended. It felt like the extended version. Because there's this whole long-ass scene where she's, like, in a cage. Right, like an equipment cage. And he's trying to get her through the cage. Uh-huh. And she ends up... She breaks the door open and gets away. But she hits him. She yeah. knocks him out. Yeah, something something happens, but he ends up on the outside of they the train. They both end up on the outside, and she pushes him off. Yeah. Or... At least she thinks that she did. Right. How he got, how and he you stayed see on the him train. creep in in the background through the, like, with the mask still on through the window. So, yeah, so later, like, okay, so they think he's dead. They think he's gone. They put her in this, they put her in this room. And then you, like, see him, like, crawling over the window. <laughs> it's, it's really bizarre. Right. It's very bizarre. And I don't understand, like, are we really supposed to believe that he somehow stayed on the train? Yeah. She gets away and when she thinks that she's pushed him off the train, he has this two second scream of, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and if you think that he actually died there, it's like, oh, I guess he just got cut off at some point. Yeah. It's really funny. There's some good lines in this movie. Like when, when, when Doc is freaking out over Mo dying, his blood's everywhere. 
and uh, he just freaks out. Help me! Help me! Bleeding, you bastard! My immediate response was, "Dude, aren't you a doctor? Like, aren't you? Yeah, you're 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 going into med school at this point. Like, how aren't a lot of these people doctors? Like, what? And then, sure enough, his line is, "I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. Goddammit, no!" <laughs> and like, he just keeps freaking out, and it's like you just let your guy like. Well, he probably didn't have anything to help him. Still, it was just really funny to me. So. Jamie Lee Curtis gets away, and she she winds up with the conductor in a room at a desk, and she's she's trying to talk to the conductor when he looks up, and it's Kenny wearing the conductor's hat. Because the, uh, the one that was in the back got killed. Yeah, uh-huh. And this is when they actually talk. And this is when you get to see crazy Kenny. He's grabbed her. Uh-huh. And he has her by the wrists. And he's, like, saying all this creepy shit to her. And then he starts basically replaying the original scene. And he says, kiss me. Whatever her name is. Kiss Elena. me. Elena. Because earlier in the film... Right, that's she's what playing, she says to him. She says, kiss me, Ken. Right, right, yeah. Kiss me, Elena. Kiss me, Ken. Kiss me. Kiss me. Huh? <gasps> Kiss me. She actually does. She kiss him. kisses him, which causes him to like go back. He like flashes back and he spins around just like he did in the first movie. We did not talk about this. After he makes out with the corpse, he starts spinning and there's like this it's a four, canopy. It's a four poster bed with the canopy, like a lace canopy. And the canopy or gets entangled around him and he's just spinning and it goes all slow mo and he goes. <laughs> she kisses him he starts doing the same thing he starts spinning and screaming and then all of a sudden out of nowhere in comes superhero conductor guy who's <laughs> totally dope by the way with a shovel and just bonk knocks him out an open door this is one of my favorite parts of the movie because they just happen to be going over a bridge <laughs> over a river that's like frozen over and there's this big hole in the ice right where it's like that's where he's going to fall, right? It's going to be like one of those, he's going to fall into the water and you don't know if he's actually dead sort of things. And then you see him fall down, right? And he's falling down over this hole in the ice. And you're like, oh, that's definitely what's going to happen. And then the camera changes again and it's on ice level looking at the hole and the (laughs) body quick as can be comes into frame and Slams down on the ice, just barely missing that hole. Like, oh, that motherfucker's dead. <laughs> and then slips into the water and it, and, and, it, and it floats away. I just thought that that was really fucking funny. <laughs> it should also be mentioned that before we see him crawling over the window, right before that happens. So yeah. before they have their whole conversation, before he flips out, before he runs after her, all this shit... One of the other girls gets told that they will be at the train station in 15 minutes. There is no fucking way they did all this shit in 15 minutes. That bothered me. (laughs) Okay, so that is the plot of Terror Train. That's everything that happens lightning round, Kelsey. Oh, there's so much. So there's this uh, 
rather large, frat brother who at the very beginning is wearing a hat because he hasn't had sex yet. And some other guy says to him, you know, you gotta wear that hat till you get laid. And he goes, laid, sir? Yeah. Me, sir? Uh-huh. You're gonna be wearing that beanie all year if you don't get laid tonight. Laid, sir? Me, sir? And then when we cut to three years later, he's like this super loved, suave guy. He's really funny and loud and boisterous. Well, he's the the not too great looking, but everyone loves him kind of character. Right, but even girls are floating with him. So it's just like, I think it presents this stigma that, oh, once you finally get laid, you're going to be more comfortable with yourself and you're going to be a better person. Everybody's going to like you better. And that's really fucked up. But he's also dressed up as like a senator. And he does this whole long Yeah, he has speech. this Uncle Sam look. And, and it, it's really funny, but yeah. I'm like, I don't know who he's supposed to he's be He's just supposed to be like a southern senator running for office dude. Jamie Lee Curtis said about Elena, There are certain things a heroine in a thriller has to be. She has to be vulnerable so that the audience identifies with her and is rooting for her. But she also has to have an enormous inner strength to overcome the evil or terror that is pursuing her. I play the same kind of character as I did in other films, but Elena, the girl I play, is stronger and more defined. She's pretty awesome. Yeah. She's, she is a very strong character. I love that she basically tells her boyfriend, you're a pawn. Yeah. You're letting this guy play you. Like, yeah. And that's not attractive to me. Right. You seem weak, and I don't want to be with a weak guy. And it's really great. Yeah, she's totally awesome. Yeah. I love Jamie Lee Curtis. She's fantastic. Did you know, Kelsey... That, first of all, she's married to Christopher Guest, and that's dope as shit. (laughs) But second off, she's like a big video game fan. I think I've talked to you about this. And in particular, is a big fan of Street Fighter. And so she goes to, um, like, conventions and stuff like that, or Evo, which is a fighting game tournament, uh, in cosplay. And recently, she went as Vega, the dude with the claws and the mask. That's so awesome. you couldn't tell that it was her because she was wearing a mask the entire time. It was dope as shit. I love, love, love Jamie Lee Curtis. And I'm really, really excited to see that she's coming back to Halloween in a year or two. I don't know. Hey, it's going to say all the other Halloweens didn't exist. Just one and two and that's it. And then this one. She was in H2O. No, they're yeah, they're scrubbing it. That didn't exist. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Everything after Halloween 3 was just a bad dream. <laughs> I like 4 and 5. <laughs> okay. At one point, when Jamie Lee Curtis finds out that it was Doc's idea, she's mad. And she goes up to him and she's all pissed. And then she decides, oh, I'm not going to make a big deal about this. So she makes it into a joke. And she said, sucks to you. Sucks to you. What does yeah. that mean? Yeah, and it's like a it's like a really confident kind of line. Like you expect the audience to go, oh, snap. Sucks to you or whatever it is that she says. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know what that means. I think she's just saying, fuck you. Sucks to you, you know. Not like she's not saying something like it sucks to be you, but she's saying curse to you. And the curse in this case is just sucks. So then she's like, oh, you gave the freshman booze? That was actually pretty nice of you. And then he says, guess what was in it? What did he do? Fucking drug them? Yeah, he laced it with something. Jesus. Or it might have been water. We don't know. It's just, it's a practical joke of some sort. I mean, being a med student, he probably knows enough to not poison them. I hope so. Yeah. So we have long conversations with the conductor 
Yeah. With different people that what work for the train. What he wants to train. do with his life. There's a whole scene <laughs> where they're arguing between the merits of automobiles and trains. And the young coal guy, I think he's the coal shoveler dude. The young guy is like, hey, trains are, are the future again because it's the 70s um, or it's the late 70s. And, you know, their uh, gas prices are skyrocketing. You know, there was the, in the late 70s, there was the gas scare where there was like no gas. And he was like, yeah, that everyone's going to want trains then. And this dude owns an RV dealership. The yeah, conductor like, why? owns an RV. And he, it's and then totally he, unnecessary. And he also says, I should have gotten out 10 years ago, not five. And I'm like, wait, if you're not in this business anymore, why are you a conductor? I don't understand. Yeah, it's... It's he like sells he Winnebago's. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> and it's totally unnecessary. I like his line, though, about how it has a bathroom and a shower, and even if you want, you can make a left. What's the price of gas right now? Pretty soon, the only way you'll get that beer can someplace is you load on a flat car. Guess who'll be driving the train? You can cook, you can take a shower, you can watch TV, and by God, you can hang a left if you feel like it. <laughs> it's like oh slam <laughs> so the guy who's in the lizard outfit yes has some very strange lines when he thinks he's talking to the this guy is, uh jackson i think his name is when he's dressed up at when the killer is dressed up as groucho Marx, he thinks it's his friend and i know we're supposed to believe that he's drunk uh-huh. but i don't know if this actor had ever been drunk he had some weird lines yeah. and a very strange deliveries. Like at one point, he he's t- telling him, "Oh, that bit you did with the sword, super fantastic, man!" And I'm like, "What? <laughs> that number at the station <laughs> with the sword? Better than Doc could have done. Super fantastic, man!" <laughs> Who talks like that? <laughs> I'm serious. I think I he had. I, I think it. he had never been drunk before and didn't know what drunk people sound like. Anthony Sherwood, we're sorry for bagging on your performance. <laughs> and then he's trying to entice him because he thinks it's his friend. He's like, "I've got the good stuff, man." I'm like, "What the hell?" <laughs> so Doc says, "You're always walking out of my parties, but you can't walk out on this one." very ominous right because he's he really hates that elena does not like him and she hates him she never goes to any of the parties and obviously when she finds out one of them is his she leaves and now she's on a train so she can't go anywhere and he's like that sucks to you (laughs) so chris ruined a lot not ruined because i wanted him to but he tell he knows a lot about magic (laughs) so he was (laughs) whoa 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 whoa. let's let's get this straight (laughs) I'm not a magician. I'm not obsessed with magic. Really, I'm obsessed with how things work. And when I don't understand how something works, I look it up and find out. Magic tricks are one of those things. So he was telling me about how most of the magic tricks got done, and he was explaining that some of them were just completely impossible. No, 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 no. The only one that was actually impossible was the one that the conductor was going to do. The conductor was like an amateur magician or whatever. 
and he was like, think of a card. Ah, oh, your card has risen to the top. And you're like, oh, how would he do that? And I said, he couldn't. It's not possible. And that's when he says, it was the Jack of Hearts. Well, it's not only has it risen to the top, but it became the Jack of Spades. No, I know. That it's was just, a joke. Right. I'm talking about the actual magician. Remember the one where he disappears and reappears at the other end of the train? That's impossible. The way they did it. Yeah. Yeah. But this is the weird thing. This is what David Copperfield said about this role. He said, film is a magnifying glass for magic. So I had to be very careful. What you see on screen is exactly what the extras saw during shooting. Now, I think he's talking about the close-up magic that he did. And I think he's talking about the levitation act that he did. Because there are a few things that the, the nuts in the dispenser, when he took the quarter, right... Like, the quarter trick is real. The nuts in the dispenser, though, they would have had to have already been planted there, and he would have no way of knowing that she wanted nuts. So that was all scripted. But the, the quarter, the the levitation, all of that was legitimate magic tricks. But him disappearing and reappearing is impossible on uh, a train. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what I was going to say was, there's only one trick that Chris didn't know how to do. So if any of you listeners out there know how to do it. Yeah, because I, I haven't looked it up. I don't know. How does he push a cigarette through a quarter? Yeah, he's not actually pushing it through a quarter. I th- Thank you. That's why you'll notice that when he pulls it, he doesn't pull it. He twists it. Do you think that That's maybe he switched the quarters? He threw hers very, up his sleeve and I took mean, out the other one? I kind of do because you notice that he makes this coin disappear and doesn't give it back to her. Mm-hmm. He then... It reveals that the nuts were in the dispenser. But how do you know that she would have a quarter specifically? Or does he, he just have one. Does he have every coin? No, he asked for a quarter, right? <laughs> Didn't he ask for a quarter, I think? I don't think so. I think she had taken out a quarter, but I don't know. I love that the conductor loves magic. Yeah. And that he does magic jokes, <laughs> not magic tricks. It's hilarious. And he says, we're sworn to secrecy. Yeah, girl asks. I loved that conductor. <laughs> well, not any girl. Elena asks. Yeah. We didn't talk about the band at all. The band. The band. <laughs> I just want your funky love. The band is so good. <laughs> they're really funny. They're like, they're almost like, a, what are they called? The beat poets? Yeah. Like, uh-huh. with a, with with a like keyboard? like a funk style? Yeah. Uh-huh. I love that. Doc, the characters are actually pretty well rounded, right? You, you and they're learn, unique. yeah. Like Doc could just be just a bully, but they give him like reasons, for yeah, the motivations, he things he likes and things he doesn't like, and yeah, like it's. And when he thinks that the dude, when he realizes who the killer is and that the killer is real and coming after him. He takes Jamie Lee Curtis into a room and, like, locks all the doors, etc. And he goes, fucking animal, he can't do this to me. Right. And it's just stuff like that. It's like, a superiority complex. Yeah, yeah like, uh-huh. it gives you this idea of who this character is, and you don't need it at all. Right. He could just be an asshole uh-huh. for no fucking reason, but they gave him reasons. These older movies, what I'm finding is from, like, all the movies that we've been watching from the 70s and, I guess, 1980s, kind of is still the 70s. 
they they put so much effort into these movies, which we now don't really see. We're seeing more of it now. Right. They're starting to put more we effort are, into it now. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the midst of a horror movie renaissance where there are some really, really good horror movies in the past 10 years mm-hmm. that have been really, really good. Because there was a fucking drought since Scream, really. Mm-hmm. There, wasn't, there, there are good horror movies in that time. Not a lot. But in like the 10 to 15 years after Scream, it was just garbage town. We do hear Jamie Lee Curtis's groans again. (laughs) Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't write that down and I was thinking about it. So I'm glad you brought that up. The groans from Halloween are back. It (laughs) sounds like she's having sex. That's why she's the Scream Queen, baby. Mm-hmm. And she also grabs a hanger at one point yes. to protect herself, which was, a, and it's so like Another small, like they don't make a Halloween. big deal about yeah, it. Uh-huh. One last thing. Okay. Earlier in the movie, when Doc thinks that the guy's out to get him, we see the hand of Kenny. Yeah. And it's supposed to be the assistant's hand, so it's got fingernail polish on it yeah and that is what makes doc think that it's mitchie and he's like oh thank god mitchie you're alive i was thought i was told you were dead blah 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 yeah ends up being kenny he kills him whatever later no nail polish no nail polish yeah, when he's uh-huh. when he's grabbing jamie lee curtis by the hands yeah when he's supposed to look like the conductor right yeah yeah it's like he he took the time to take it off or something yeah he doesn't but, have yeah, nail polish yeah. that's why we have you see it a lot more now than you did back then, especially on low-budget movies. But that's why we have script supervisors now. And script supervisors are often also called, like, continuity supervisors or continuity directors. Like, it's their job to follow threads like that through the script. And then they're there on set for every scene to know, oh, no, earlier in the movie. Because these are all filmed out of order. They're all filmed completely separately from each other. So it's their job to be thinking chronologically through the movie and know where everything needs to be and according to the script. So much more important now, held in much higher regard now than it was back then. That should have been, I'm sure there was a script supervisor, but they weren't paying attention to nail polish. You get fired for something like that. I hope somebody got fired for that blunder. (laughs) Boy, I really hope somebody got fired for that blunder. So Kelsey. Yeah. What do you think the Rotten Tomatoes score is for Terror Train? 81. 36. What? Yeah. That is not okay. Yeah. That is way underrated. Way underrated. Oh, I totally agree with you. Listen, I don't think it's a good movie. (laughs) I think it's a great horror movie, and I personally love it. Oh my god, it's so much fun. I would probably give it somewhere in the high 60s. Keeping in mind as far as, like, as a caliber of a movie is concerned. But for me personally, probably high 70s. Yes, I would do high 70s. Yeah. So totally underrated, you guys. So underrated. Suck-ass critics. (laughs) I wonder why. Well, let's see. So I was thinking this when I was getting the Rotten Tomato score originally, is that... The reviewers that they had there were all from places that weren't like big publications that you might expect to be reviewing like standard films. And those would run the gamut in whether they liked it or didn't like it. For instance, one says 
it's a run-of-the-mill slasher film whose central gimmick is setting its action on a train. And that's from Nick Shager from Lessons of Darkness. There's Rob Gonsalves from eFilmCritic.com says, Just a little more skillfully done than many of its contemporaries. And whatever esteem I have for it is largely nostalgic, but at least it tries to be different. Uh, but the biggin' Roger Ebert gave it one star. He says, but Terror Train is a curious hybrid that doesn't seem to know just what it wants to be. It has, I guess, few artistic pretensions, and yet it's not a rock-bottom budget schlock exploitation film. Curtis is to the current horror film glut what Christopher Lee was to the last one, or Boris, Kar or Boris Karloff was in the 1930s. She was the star of Halloween, she also starred in Carpenter's Disappointing the Fog, and the utterly inept Prom Night, and now, hey. and now here she is again. At this point in her career, if she should get a straight role in a conventional movie, she might start screaming and run away from the camera just on reflex. Wow. Yeah, I'm telling you, she was the scream queen. Um, well, in three years later, she would be on a very different New Year's Eve train. <laughs> In trading places. Yes. The classic horror films of the 1930s appeal to the intelligence of its audiences, to their sense of humor and irony. Sounds like he's being biased from the old time when movies really meant something. <laughs> movies like Terror Train and all of its sordid predecessors and its ripoffs still to come just don't care. They're a series of sensations strung together on a plot. Any plot will do. Just don't forget the knife and the girl and the blood. I could say that about so many movies. I mean, you. I mean, of other I, genres and. Uh, but no, I'm specifically about horror. You could say that about a lot, and I would agree with you. Like as much as I love Friday the Thirteenth, you could say that about pretty much every single one of yeah, them. Yeah, which is why I liked the one from eFilmCritic.com, Rob <laughs> Gonsalves, who says at least it tries to be different. Like I disagree with him in that it's just like. Every other yeah, horror. It's, no, it's not. It took a, a lot of time to come up with these characters. Like we were just saying, Doc could have been just a dick. Right. Just no motivation. Could have just been a dick. And by no and means, it, by no means is it a perfect movie. By no means is it like an all-time great. It is not Halloween we're talking no, about here. But I mean, it did a lot of things that were interesting. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I was never confused. I mean, I, I I told you, like, I was like, I think the film's trying to tell me that it's not the guy from earlier, but I don't know why. Okay. No, I was never really thinking, like, well, who could it be? Right, yeah. But I was totally in shock when I found out that it, he was dressed up as the Yeah, the first time the we assistant. saw it, I remember we were both like, I what? had no idea. I was like, where is he? Like, how is he getting around? That was intriguing. Yeah, uh-huh. And... Screw you, Ebert. And plus, it does add to the tension that it's on a train. Yeah, they can't get off. That's right. the whole point. And I think some people feel like, oh, that's just a cheap device. But it's not for everybody, and I do very much respect Roger Ebert and his film criticism, but I think he just missed the mark on this one. He didn't have to like it, but a one out of four seems like seems like it's it he he gets in moods. <laughs> when he just decides to be a total asshole about certain things. Which is why he has a book called Your Movie Sucks. <laughs> so, anyway. That was 1980's Terror Train. Next up, 2007's The Signal. Kelsey. Yes. 
What is the premise for The Signal? As far as I know, because I've never seen it, it's about three different stories all taking place on New Year's Eve where some sort of signal is being sent out either through cell phones or through television or something that is turning people into, like, murderous people. Yes. <laughs> That's my semi-understanding of the film. So it is written and directed by David Bruckner, Dan Bush, and Jacob Gentry. So three directors, three writers. I don't know if this is going to be another vignette sort of thing or what. But in any case, we haven't seen it. So we'll find out together. Woo! So why don't you watch it with us and pause the episode right here and come on back and we'll talk about 2007's The Signal. <laughs> Kelsey, 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 what was The Signal about? The Signal is a story told in three parts. It takes place on the day of New Year's Eve, and there is a signal that is being sent out through TV, radio waves, and phones, which is making people just crazy. They have hallucinations, mostly that tell them to kill other people. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not like, it's not like the rage virus and 28 days later or anything like that. It's just, it rationalizes aggression. It makes you aggressive and then it makes you rationalize it. So the whole thing starts out with uh, an excerpt from, from, as far as I can tell, something called the Hap Hap Good Story, which is a short film directed by Jacob Gentry, but I could find like practically nothing about it. It was very 70s style. Really leaning heavily, heavily into that. And then that leads into the signal. It even has an old school 70s title card. And if you watched our previous episodes on movies like House of the Devil, we really like this sort of thing. But it, it, it was very obviously kind of low budget. That was taken from another movie that was made by the director? No, it was made by Jacob Gentry, who is the guy who did the Jealousy Monster, the, the, the center one. Okay. So what you're saying is the director of the second portion of the film that we saw, The uh, Signal, yes, also made this other movie called The Hap Hap Good Story, which they are watching at the very beginning of the film. Yes. Got it. And that's when we get exposed to Ben and Maya, who are two of the three main characters of this movie. And it starts off with Maya's story. Which is called Crazy in Love. That's written and directed by David Bruckner. And it's supposed to evoke violent horror. What happens in this one is it, it's, it's the start of the whole thing. Maya is sleeping with Ben. She's cheating on her husband, Louis. And Ben is trying to convince her to break up with Louis and go with him. Terminal 13, New Year's Eve. We'll get out of here and we'll start a life for ourselves in a farm or some bullshit. And she's thinking about it when she gets home 
And there's this really uncomfortable exchange between her and Lewis, her husband. So the TV that they are watching the Hap Hap Good story on, <laughs> I guess. And then right before the girl who escapes is about to get caught, it cuts to a weird signal. And the signal is like, how would you describe it? It's just arbitrary. It's not exactly white noise. It's just weird images that aren't actual, like, pictures, distortions, colors, sounds. And it's coming through on everything. Phones, radios, televisions. So when she gets home to her husband, Lewis, he has two friends over and the TV's gone out. Yeah. And they're listening to the signal and they just think that the TV's just out. They're trying to fix it. So yeah. the mechanics of the signal are never really clearly defined. No, it doesn't matter. It's not the point. I know it's not the point, but it's also, there's supposed to be varying degrees on how much it affects you depending on how long you watch or how long you listen, but it's not clear at all. So they've had this Well, and your and your willpower, your ability to maintain within your own mind that whatever the signal is telling you is a lie has a very kind of sweet message throughout about what truth is and how... Love is truth and la, 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 la. We're not there yet, but right now we're in the violent one. And so this is where all the violence happens. So essentially, when she gets home, we're not clear on if Lewis was already mean and obtrusive or if he was abusive in some way. But right off the bat, he's very aggressive towards his wife. And we don't know if that's because of just the way he is naturally or if it's because he's been listening to the signal for a while. Yes. And when a friend is just swinging a bat just wildly and not paying attention, Lewis gets upset because Maya almost gets hit, or he thinks Maya almost gets hit. And when he starts to head down the hallway towards Maya, our guy Lewis knocks him out and then just beats the shit out of him, kills the guy. The other friend has just been trying to get them to stop. I think his name is Rod. Oh. I like Rod. Rod was good. He was a good element of the story. So she freaks out. She ends up escaping, breaking into next door. There's crazy shit going on in the hallways. Her yeah, next door neighbor are, tries to kill her. People are being murdered all over the place. And that's another thing that it's not super clear about because we get the most understanding of the way the signal bothers people through Lewis. And what we see from Lewis's perspective is... He believes that everyone is out to get his wife, so he has to protect her. But at the same time, he's mad at his wife because he thinks that she's been cheating on him, which she has been. Yeah. So she ends up letting time pass across the hall and then breaking back into her own apartment and seeing Lewis all taped up. She gets all her shit and then she leaves. And she's like, fine, I got to get out of here. And that's when... She's listening to the song that Ben gave her. He made her a mixed CD, <laughs> which we talked about 2007. A little iffy if they would have been doing that. Oh, no, it, they would have been, but it, that's kind of a transition period between <laughs> I definitely had my iPod back by then. And right. I got my iPod pretty late in the game. I got it in like, I, get, I got it as a graduation present. 
This is how big of a deal the iPod was in 2005. I probably had a Zune. <laughs> but anyway. She's walking down the hall when she walks by an open door. And this is something we talked about a lot. She constantly puts her headphones on. And it becomes an important part of the story later on. But if you're in a situation where you could die at a moment's notice, you don't deprive yourself of senses, including hearing. It's like if you're in a zombie apocalypse... You can never have your earbuds in ever again. You know, it's kind of like that. And this is supposed to be kind of like the zombie takeover storyline, this first act. But it does help because it cancels out the signal sound. That's why she wears it, but it's problematic. Because At she certain also points, be, they don't really go too aware. deep into that. But because she has her headphones on, she gets pulled into a room unexpectedly by... Rod. Now, Rod is tripping out. He is really freaking out. He is not handling this very well. Understandably no, so. No, <laughs> absolutely. He's obviously kind of, of the three friends, he was the more pacifist one. He's the one who tied up Lewis into the chair. and Because he, he doesn't want to kill people because he's not no. crazy. But he he it's so funny the way he says it's it. It's funny you said that. When he's explaining to her why he had to kill people, he... he oh, now I can't remember the exact words. But he basically says... I don't want to kill people, but I also don't want to fuck around. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that. One out of two people just started killing each other. They just decided to kill people. I mean, what do I do? I've, ne I've never killed anybody before. What do I do? I'm not going to fuck around. You know, but what, what do I do? He also says when he's telling a story, one of the things that really fucked him up is that he killed somebody thinking that they were crazy, or he attacked somebody thinking that they were crazy. And that's when he realized, in his words, he's not crazy. He thinks I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. And I realize he's not crazy. He thinks I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. You really kind of like this guy, but he's obviously losing it. And he teeters on this edge a lot. Do you have the crazy? They ask a lot. In, in this segment, he tries to escape with Maya and gets shot by a police officer. She almost leaves him behind, but she doesn't. She waits for him. He gets in and then they start. He starts arguing with her. Oh, you've got the crazy now. You were going to leave me behind. Because he turned the radio on. Yeah. And, and she's like, turn it off, turn it off. And he doesn't. And then he starts smacking her in the face from the passenger seat. And so she just yanks the steering wheel and runs right into this transformer and knocks both of them out so she gets away and that's when she sees clark who has a shovel and comes towards the car and he's like i'm just trying to help and she's getting out and he sees there's another dude in the car and he's like um <laughs> and and she tells him i'm out of here i'm going to terminal 13 live my life or whatever it is that she says and he's like there's a guy in your car <laughs> And that's the end of Transmission 1, which was called Crazy in Love. It's funny because it's that one was supposed to be the most violent. And yes, there is a lot of violence in the hallways. There's a lot of violence say, in this next one. I would say the second one's more violent. So the second segment, the second transmission, as it's called, is called the Jealousy Monster. And this is the one by Jacob Gentry. This is the guy who did Hap Hap Good Story. Uh, this one has a dark comedy vibe. This is the first tonal shift that you get that's in the movie, right? Obviously, there's a tonal shift from Hap Hap Good to, to Crazy in Love. But 
Hap Hapgood is just on a TV they're watching. It's not actually part of the story. So this is the first tonal shift that you actually get in the story. And I was making a note. I knew about this already going into the movie. Kelsey was really confused when the tone changed in the second transmission, but she was also laughing at the jokes. So yeah. it was a really kind of emotional, like, back and forth. Like, what is going on? I mean, that's funny, but why is it a comedy all of a sudden? Yeah. So when Chris told me after we watched the movie that each one was supposed to have a completely different tone, my response is, when you say that, it all makes sense, but you shouldn't have to tell me for it to feel cohesive. Yeah. You should have done something better to make it more cohesive instead of so jarring. And I believe my exact words were, your movie shouldn't come with an instructional booklet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you shouldn't have to know this stuff going into it. I mean, some movies are fun the more information that you know, but they don't make it clear enough that these are each vignettes of the same story directed by, written and directed by different people. Like, this is no four rooms. This is completely different. It seems like one story logically told from beginning to end that just varies wildly in tone for no discernible reason, which is a bummer. I feel like they could have made it a little bit more clear that it was directed by different people and written by different people and was intended to have different tones. Maybe by putting in the beginning, when they say transmission one, crazy in love, written and directed by David Bruckner, you know, and then Transmission 2, Jealousy Monster, written and directed by Jacob Gentry. Or even just the font. Even just changing the font for each one, making one look more silly, making one look more gory. Yeah, or or treating it like, like, we can gather that it's the same world, right? Like, we're not idiots. Give us a title card, like a real title card, like it's a separate movie. Right. Or a separate short story. And then it'd be interesting to see all these separate short stories, how they interchange. Right. And, ha and how they cross over. And we wouldn't be so thrown by the fact that they have these different tones if we know going into it to expect a different story and get little links. That would be pretty neat. It was really distracting for me. So of our three main characters, Maya, Ben and Lewis, this is Lewis's story. And it starts with Clark and Anna who are friends, and Clark is Anna's landlord, and uh, Ken, who is Anna's husband, who she kills with a balloon pump. Because he started to choke her. Because he starts to choke her because he, because he got, on. yeah, he gets the signal. They're setting up a New Year's party. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be all Anna can focus on. And this is the first time you really get that tone shift. I mean, other than the fact that she kills him with a pump is that all she can focus on even though she just killed her husband is the party and what about the guests how do we clean up in time for the guests to come you think this party is a bad idea i just don't think we can have people over right now i'll just tell them that the party's been canceled clark you look checked this is a dress-up party here tonight and i need a couple of things that can borrow namely my hatchet and some garbage bags. Ken, I'm gonna need that hatchet you borrowed. I also need to borrow a couple of, um... He's dead. Yeah. And that's a running gag throughout this segment, is the people keep knocking at the door, <laughs> ringing the doorbell, and it's like, everyone thinks, nobody's gonna come! Yeah, Clark... We're gonna be any guests? The world is ending! Clark Ding dong! <laughs> yeah, Clark keeps saying, like, have you not noticed that the world is going to shit? And then, yeah. Knock, knock. <laughs> so Clark pulls 
Rod's body out of the car from the first segment and carries it down into the basement. And when he tries to figure out what's going on with this guy, Rod ends up attacking him. And so Clark chops his head off with the shovel and obviously supposed to be ridiculous. And when he shows everyone later, somebody says he looks dead. I think Lewis says he looks dead and Clark says he is. And then Lewis says, I see. Editors note this line is actually from a different scene where Lewis discovers Ken's dead body, but I like it so much, I'm going to put it here anyway. Don't go in there! What do you have here? It's, it was Ken. Snapping. He looks dead. He is. I see. That's the kind of tone that this one strikes, which is much different from the first one. There's a lot of those kind of conversational moments. Oh my where... god, every conversation during this one, you could put all of them between the three of them. Every time all three of them are having a conversation, Lewis, Clark, and... And yes, they make a joke about the fact that it's Lewis and Clark. Lewis, Clark, Lewis and Clark. <laughs> Where's Sacagawea? Yeah. Lewis, Clark, and whatever the fuck her name is. Yeah. Anna. All their conversations are hysterical. Yeah. They just felt out of place and bizarre. Right, because we weren't, we didn't know there was going to be this tone shift. Yeah. Anna says, that's what happened. He was watching TV and then he went bad. <laughs> that's what she was talking about, her husband, Ken. And then Clark follows that up with, this is, without a doubt, the most fucked up day in the history of mankind. <laughs> the TV must have gotten into his head and told him to kill you. Yeah, that's what happened to Ken. He was watching TV and it made him go bad. This is, without a doubt, the most fucked up day in the history of mankind. We should get back inside. Who wants cocktails? So, there's a lot of weird shit going on, uh, kind of beside the point here, where Anna thinks that Ken comes back to life, and then Lewis kind shows up looking for... We didn't even say how Lewis got there. We don't know how he got out of the apartment yet, but he shows up with Ben in the back of his truck, or we back of his van. We did see Ben show up. Fall out of the building at the end of her leaving. Right, right, right. He gets pushed out of the out of the front door. So of the we building knew that leaves. he was alive and we knew that he was in some kind of peril. Right. And uh so Lewis shows up with Ben in the back of his van and he shows up because he's gonna be an exterminator. That's what he does for a living. And that's his excuse for showing up at Anna's house. And the reason he's there is because he saw Maya's car crashed out front. So that's how Lewis got there. He gets in and he starts taking over. Every time somebody shows up, he wants to kill them. And he does. He kills one of her friends. And he keeps saying that it's, oh, I was trying to protect you. Yeah, she was going to attack you. And Anna and Clark are kind of put in a place where it's like, okay, clearly this guy is dangerous, but he's also not killing us, which tells us that he's not crazy. Yeah, he's not completely crazy. But this is the halfway point. There's a lot of... So we're talking about the rage virus and 28 Days Later and stuff like that, where it's a switch. Right? You are either normal human or you are homicidal, psychopathic, raging monster. Right, That's 28 Days Later. This is a wide spectrum from who, who you are normally to a complete homicidal maniac. And Lewis is somewhere in the middle at this point. The movie talks a lot about rationalization and how you rationalize 
these thoughts and that's how they get even deeper in your brain is because you start accepting them. And so he does that. He just starts rationalizing. And that's what he, he spends this whole entire time rationalizing everything. It's, oh, she was going to attack you or they're trying to steal your wife or there's a rationalization for everything. But he just takes it to the extreme of murder. He's not just indiscriminately murdering everybody, which is why Lewis and Anna are still alive. Well, he also thinks that Anna is Maya through most of that scene. Yeah. A guy shows up for the party. Yeah. And he is a bizarre character because my response is, okay, if I'm trying to build a character for this guy, he must not have any friends. He must not know people because he doesn't realize that the world is ending around him. He also must not watch television during the day. Yeah. Or listen to the radio. Yeah. Or talk on his phone. Uh-huh. He must be a reader, an avid reader, <laughs> and not have any friends. Because she shows up and he's just like, what's up? And, like, he doesn't even think it's weird that there's blood all over the place. No, he is obviously socially inept. Yes. And he doesn't know how to do anything, how to interact with people. That's why he's showing up at this lame party. Just gonna be lame, knowing, like, looking at the people that are there. Yeah, he just kind of shows up. And, and while they're arguing over whether to let him in or not... He's like, it's not hard. Just grab the handle and turn. Like, he's just trying to explain. Yeah, because Lewis wants to kill him because he's like, oh, he's coming to, a- he's coming after us. And, the- and Clark's like, uh, we don't have any proof of that yet. And so, yes, and the guy's just like, he walks away and then he comes back and then he's like, I can hear you in there. And it's just like, you're such a weird character. Yeah. And then he's used to say a bunch of weird sexual shit. Like, at one point, he's like, I hope there's girls tonight, because I want to grab a slut and pee in her butt. And that ball drops, I'm going to grab a slut, and I'm just going to pee in her butt. Yeah. <laughs> weird stuff like that. <laughs> and the guy's like, where's Ken? And they're like, oh, he's laying down for a little bit. And Lewis says, he's dead tired. And they both look at each other like, ha it is so because they don't tell you this is the comedy one yeah but talk about the torture and the and the violence in this one because it it was way more graphic for me than the first one was yeah so jim parsons who's that guy with the mustache he ends up getting killed right he gets killed by lewis think so don't even remember what ended up happening to him but there's a lot with the bug spray on anna yeah there's a lot of bug spray in the mouth and in the face and that's how anna dies and it's there's a lot of that kind of tortury stuff at one point lewis thinking that clark knows where maya is ties him to a chair like stabs him with a knife and is like spraying shit, the bug spray in his eyes and stuff like that to get him to tell him. And he eventually does. And then he ex- he exposes him to the signal on purpose. He's like, look, the truth is in there, you know, which is exactly when Ben shows up and hits Lewis over the head with the bug spray can. And because the TV's on playing the signal, he starts raging and just smashing Lewis's head in with this bug can. And it is incredibly realistic. Yeah. I don't know how they filmed this, yeah. but it was incredibly realistic. Like, obviously, there's a transition between that's really Lewis's head and that's not. But there's really only one 
Right, but the there's multiple it. hits where yeah. it's like he's getting hit in the head by something and smashing his head into the into the carpet. We didn't rewind and look closely or anything like that, but in the moment it looked incredibly realistic. And it made me think and when you see like his face smashed in and everything and it made me think of that scene in Drive where he stomps that guy's head in. Um, but this, even felt but this more was graphic. Uh, yeah, no, it was a lot more direct. We saw a lot more of it, but it and, was just in his head. But yeah, it's just in his head, but that's not the point. The point is, I was starting to feel like, okay, so this is the comedy, I suppose. And I was kind of, okay, dark comedy. I like dark comedies. And then all of a sudden there was this shit. And I was just like, what happened? Uh What happened again? And they didn't even intend for that. And that's what I'm saying. You shouldn't need an instruction booklet. If you want it to be a dark comedy that has crazy brutality in it, do that throughout the entire thing. Or make it more clear that each of these vignettes are standalone. But they're not. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. Um, there's a lot of tone that transmits over all three of them. Transmits waka waka. Anyway, that violence was all in his head. He was just imagining it because the TV was still on. Uh, but he did hit him the first time. And he this ends movie up... goes into hallucinations a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's confusing because it also goes into backstory. Yeah, flashbacks and flash forwards. And flash and, forwards. And, yeah, and uh-huh. it's very confusing. There's nothing that tells you, okay, this is really happening, this happened in the past, this is a hallucination. And for some of them, I understand that because they want you to think that it's really happening, just like this one where he's bashing the guy's head and you're supposed to think it's really happening and it ends up being a hallucination. I'm fine with that. And you get that answer, like, right away. But I'm not fine with it when you mix that in with flashbacks and flash forwards and you give me no indication of what is what. Yeah. So Ben ends up talking Clark out of his stupor. By pointing out that the signal is a lie. He exposes him to the signal again, and he's like, these emotions that you're feeling, these are a lie. Like, look inside yourself. (laughs) You know it to be true. Uh, Find the truth. And he does. Clark snaps out of it. A little bit, at least. But Lewis wakes up, and they lock themselves in the basement, which is where the headless corpse of Rod is. Okay, before that, uh-huh. he has the stupidest line to explain what's going on with the signal. Yeah. He says, you change the way you look at things. The things you look at change. We change the way we look at things. The things we look at will change. I don't know why you dislike that line. I think that's, I mean, I, it is kind of sappy and cheesy. It sounds like something that would be on your aunt's Facebook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Again, it just, it's like, where did this but it's not untrue. From? It's not untrue. Anyway, that's like the message of this entire movie is down to that line. Change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Also, that you should be a strong person. That's definitely the message of this Yeah, movie. look for the truth, and truth is in love, and truth don't is in... Don't let other people yeah. and things lead you in mm-hmm. life. Don't, don't, try to, don't try to rationalize your way towards doing bad recognize that that's the lie the truth is happiness and love and yada 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 we're getting to these things in the second segment we're not even into the third one yet so anyway in the dark comedy violent fashion clark who can't remember where maya went because he's been brainwashed so much even though he just told lewis well he also gets confused because he keeps thinking that ben is lewis yeah and he gets upset because he doesn't like Lewis for obvious reasons. Right, yeah, yeah. So. so he gets this great idea of, oh, I know. I bet you Rod, who was in the car with her, knows where she was going. 
And so he like drills these nails into his head, puts his head in a vice and then connects them to the charge. And Ben's just like, you know what? Do it. (laughs) You do you. You do you. (laughs) Go ahead. And then Clark has this conversation with Rod, a short conversation, and he gets the information and he shares that with Ben and Ben's like, great. Do you realize you're talking to a decapitated head? (laughs) You're aware you're having a conversation with a decapitated head. So even though we see Rod talking, it's the implication is that that's all in Clark's head and that Rod isn't actually talking. But Ben doesn't care. He got the information he needed. Lewis breaks in through the door and they drill his arm into the wall, which again, more violence, more torture violence. It wasn't nearly as bad as the second scene, though. No, no, no. The second one, watching a girl get bug sprayed that this much. This is still the second one. Oh, is it? Yeah. Uh-huh. I thought we had moved into the third. No, the third doesn't happen until they go to the train station, to the terminal. He rips his arm out of the wall and then runs away. We don't know what's going on. And then Ben and Clark are talking to each other. Ben's like, do you have a car? And Clark is like, yeah. So they get into his car and drive to now, why the train station. Now, why Clark drive is beyond me. Because Clark's kind of gone to crazy town for a little while. And I would not want him behind the wheel. Right. But Clark is really funny. Because Clark is like, he's just supposed to be a stupid landlord. But he's actually really smart and like knows a lot. Oh yeah, he knows that shit. the signal is the problem. But he doesn't know how to defeat it. Which is why he starts going crazy all the time. That's another really good thing about this movie. I love that all the characters figure it out pretty fucking fast. Yeah. There's no there's like, not, what's going yeah, on? I don't understand. Uh-huh. If I turn the radio on, I don't get it. Like, it's, it's great that... <laughs> For the most part, all the main characters get it really quickly. Yeah. So they end up going to the terminal and to the train station to go to Terminal 13, which is where Maya is supposed to be. And not a lot to really talk about in this third one. This third one is Escape from Terminus, written and directed by Dan Bush. It's in the form of an apocalyptic love story. So this is this one is much more dramatic. And... They come across Maya. He tur- he touches her. She turns around, and her face is a skeleton. Like the graph, the the special effects in this in this movie are like really good. It's funny that you say that. Why? I've never actually seen They Live. It's been on my list for forever, but someone is never in the mood to watch it. Anyway, what? You never bring it up. I Lies. Do too. Lies. Anyway, I've seen images. Uh huh. And that's what she reminded me of. Those are the aliens. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit, but she's just a skull with a bloody pulpy face. And Clark has to convince Ben that it's just a hallucination. Which we don't really understand why he has that hallucination. At that point, he hadn't been susceptible to the... He has throughout it. I mean, you know, he had the hallucination about beating Lewis. Because the TV headed. was on, but there's nothing yeah, but on all here. No, like everything's on and like all the TVs in the station are on. And they, so our second movie for New Year's in a train station. Yes, uh-huh, totally. <laughs> so they end up actually finding Maya and she's been tr- she's been strapped into a chair looking at all the TVs that would normally tell you like arrival and departure times and they're all broadcasting the signal. While Ben tries to deal with Maya, Clark goes to get her water. And he goes to the vending machine, he sees it's unplugged, he plugs it in. And then Lewis is there. Mm-hmm. 
The implication is that Lewis got there first because he left before they did. He knew where she was going. He strapped her in and he tried to expose her to the quote unquote truth of the signal. Mm -hmm. Just like he had been exposed to. He kills Clark. And comes up on Ben. This whole time Maya's being exposed to the signal and she's just completely out of it. Blank looks, can't think or react or do anything. And... Lewis and Ben are now going to have it out. Interestingly, I think this is really interesting. They don't really fight. Ben just talks to Lewis and convinces Lewis that they are each other. Mm -hmm. That Lewis is Ben and Ben is Lewis. And that Ben is actually married to Maya and Lewis was sleeping with her and Lewis hated Ben for sleeping with Maya. And so now he needs to like turn that hatred on himself and he gets very confused and very frustrated. And because the signal's going on, he's like raging and he punches one of the TVs over and over and over again until it finally breaks and he plunges his hand into it and electrocutes himself. Is that possible? Probably. <laughs> and we see it in Scream. Yeah, and screen the TV falls on his head. And <laughs> blah, 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 blah. So, it's anyway, pretty good. yeah, yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's, it's an interesting way to to handle that because it, it preys on Lewis's psychosis, right? That we've seen demonstrated throughout the entire thing, and it gives validity to that. Yeah, totally. Now the problem is that Maya is still strapped in, and she's been exposed to this. So Ben cuts her out. And this is where you get the really post, post-apocalyptic post love story element of it. They get on the train. They go to these stores. And it's very 28 Days Later, right? Where they're going to these places and experiencing this this after the apocalypse. Where there is there are no living people and they're just living their life going through a, a completely destroyed world. And they're living their life and then they're happy. Cut back to them in the terminal... She's still strapped in, and she is not responding to Ben. And so he takes her headphones, playing the song that he put on the CD for her, and puts it on, and she's still not kind of not reacting. And then her face kind of goes straight, a single tear falls, and then cut to black. So it's a little tiny bit unclear what happens, but basically one of three things happens. <laughs> Either... He is thinking about their future together and he needs to deal with her and get her straight and he does and he succeeds. Or he is thinking about their future together, but it's tragic because it will never happen because she's so far gone that there's no coming back. And all he can do for her is play the music that he created for her and like maybe end her life. You know, it's very sad. But more likely, I think, is the third option, which is that flash forward to them living their life, flash back to them in the terminal, how did he get her out of it? And he got her out of it by playing the music for her. That's why her total demeanor changes. She's no longer being exposed to the signal anymore. She's hearing the love, right, that she has for Ben, which is the truth in the thesis of this entire movie. And she cries, right? And that's how he gets her out of it. And then we can imagine that they do go on to live that life. Do you agree? Yeah. I mean, when I saw it before we talked about it at all, 
I just took it as that's what he's hoping will happen. He puts the headphones on, she comes back. So the first option. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. I went with. I went with the third, but I don't think there's any indication that it's the second, where it's a, it's a tragedy and she's so far gone she can't come back. I think there are too many indicators that, especially with the entire thesis of the movie being recognizing love is truth and the aggression is the lie, it would be <laughs> completely ridiculous to undercut that at the end just to have a sad ending. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that isn't the case. That that was 2007's The Signal in its entirety. Lightning round, Kelsey, do you have anything else? I think I'm done. I have like maybe one or two things. In the very beginning, when she's going home, the guy, Ben, says like, I mean, do you even love your husband? And she gives this weird look, which at the time I read as, oh, she totally does. And she feels guilty of what she's done. And then she comes home and it's like, pretty sure she does love her husband. Yeah, uh-huh. But who knows if that's part of the signal. And I wish we had kind of a little bit more understanding of their relationship before. Yeah. I know it's not very important to the story, but I don't know. I feel like characters are an important piece. And if you can't, if I don't understand your mm-hmm. characters, it's a problem. I feel like this is a very popular kind of story of... Of people being happy with their small lives or being unhappy with their small lives. (laughs) Like in Fargo, season two, where they're just happy with their small lives and the big world comes in to destroy that, right? Or in We Just Watched Colossal last night, which was a good movie, where one of the characters is very unhappy with their small life. And these are themes we're seeing in television and film recently over the past decade or so. We'll see a lot of that. And that's what Lewis is. He's this tragic figure that really likes his small life, but it's not good enough for Maya. Also, when she's wa- when she's walking away from Ben's home, she has to go through a parking garage and she encounters this man who's been hurt and he's bleeding and he keeps telling her, "Just come here for a minute." Yeah, no. Just come here for a minute. That right there is immediately no. You need to tell me what the fuck is going on and I will do something to help you, but if you tell me nothing and tell me come closer, my pretty. Like, no, of course not. But it's interesting because it ends up being just that the guy is like, yeah. I've been hurt and I need help. And it's like, who would... Ass- who would- Maybe he is trying to hurt her too. He might still be affected by the signal even though he was a victim of it. It's just very, like, who would help that guy? Yeah. Uh-huh. Kind of a moron would be like, oh, I guess he's not going to tell me what's wrong. Guess I better get closer yeah. to him. Yeah. In the middle of the night on a, in a parking garage. The name of the city in the film is Terminus. They mention it a few times, which seems kind of unnecessary, but you look into it and it was filmed in Atlanta, which was originally called Terminus when it was first started. It it seems like an unnecessary departure from reality, knowing that there is no town called Terminus. It sounds like a sci-fi movie. Also, I love that we, we know it's one o'clock in the morning because when she gets home, Lewis says, it's one o'clock in the morning. Where have you been? And the two friends that are over are like trying to watch the game. Yeah. What game is on <laughs> at one o'clock in the morning? I don't, it's baseball too, right? So like, know. cause I the guy's swinging baseball. a baseball bat. Oh, we, maybe. Th- the assumption is that it's baseball. It's not like they're watching soccer overseas. And it's gone into way yeah. over time. No, I no, guess. no. But I mean like soccer in another country. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. So the signal itself I've already mentioned this, so I'll do it briefly, but, like, there's just no real understanding. I understand, okay, so some people are way more vulnerable, some people are way more susceptible, but for some people it happens instantly, and for others it takes a while to come into effect, and I don't like when 
movies do that because it is purely just a, well, we kind of need this guy to go crazy really fast and then we kind of need this guy to take a while. It's the same thing with zombie zombies. Movies. Yep. Uh-huh. Oh, he got bit and he instantly turned. Oh, but this main character got bit and it took like an hour yeah. for it's them to It's usually turn. the first turn of a zombie movie takes forever. <laughs> and then at the end of the movie, people change in 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but this is varies throughout the thing. And I think it has a lot to do. I think it does establish pretty well that it varies based on the person. And there's only one real conversation between Clark and Ben when they're on the drive over to the, the train station about who sent out the signal. Right. And, I mean, Ben basically says it doesn't matter. Like, this is what we're dealing with. Right, when Clark puts on his tinfoil hat. (laughs) Right, which is how the audience is supposed to take it, you know? I'm very happy, Kelsey, that you accept that. I was gonna say. (laughs) I'm okay with it because it is so not important to the story. It's still frustrating. It's still just like, was it aliens? Was it the government? No, it it reminds me. it? (laughs) It reminds me of Looper. Or Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis, being young and old versions of the same person, respectively, are sitting at a dining table at a diner and talking about what's going on. And they're trying to conceptualize how time works when they send a person back in the past and they meet somebody. And, like, how does this all work? And Bruce Willis Willis is like, it doesn't fucking matter. I don't (laughs) want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) So do you know what's going to happen? You've done all this already as me? I don't want to talk about time travel. Because if we start talking about it, then we're going to be here all day talking about it, making diagrams with straws. It's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. This is just the premise. <laughs> you just need to know that this is happening. You don't need to know why it's happening. You don't need to know any of that other stuff. You just need to know that it is happening and that what we're going to explore is the result of that, not the cause. We don't care about the cause. It's a different story. It's a, it's a, it's a different movie. Also... When she's walking away and she's walking through all the carnage and she ends up getting pulled in by Rod, Chip doesn't grab a weapon. Right. Fucking really? Repeatedly. Rod makes his own... It's awesome. ...knife brazier thing. Staff. <laughs> and, but she's just like, eh, I don't need a weapon. <laughs> yeah. And she's kind of dumb. But she's super smart. Like, she puts on the In the first the segment, in her own segment, like, she is, yeah. Uh-huh. I understand that I can't be hearing shit. Mm-hmm. You know, and she's a smart person. And then she's just like, I'm just going to walk through the hallway uh-huh. where all the dead people are and not be concerned about it yep. anymore. Yeah. And she's not in the second one hardly at all. They're just all talking about her. And then she's in the third one and she has like no lines, which is a, a bit of a bummer that the only time she gets any sort of agency is in the first one. Basically. Throughout the film. There are many, many times where characters get hurt in some way, hit over the head with a hammer, knocked out by a baseball bat many times. So this came up in... Better Watch Out. Better Watch Out. And these people just keep getting up, and they're able to have rational thoughts, and they're able to walk around normally. And I'm like, come on! Like, Rod has this giant wound in the back of his head from when that guy attacked him, and... Ben has this giant gash across the side of his head. It happens many times. Yeah, uh-huh. And Lewis I, gets hit in the head repeatedly. It's so hard for me to buy the fact that these people are just like, do do I'm okay. So, Kelsey, Rotten Tomatoes, what do you think it is? What's your guess? I saw a lot of positive reviews for it, so I'm going to guess that, but I'm also going to guess that not a lot of people have seen it. 
I'm going to say 55. 58, actually. Pretty close. The critical consensus, according to Rotten Tomatoes, is the signal is gruesome, funny, and has big thoughts about society, but those disparate elements fail to come together convincingly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's exactly how I feel about it. Do you think 58 is overrated or underrated? I'd say it's a little underrated. I'd probably give it a 66. It's just shy of fresh. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit of of a bummer. I think it's it's 60% where something gets to be fresh. So that's a little bit of a bummer. What would you give it? I'd probably give it like a 66. Okay. Yeah. 70, I'd say. Wow. Well, I, we were talking about this before the recording. This seems like exactly the kind of movie I would have fucking loved in high school that my friend Bob would have shown me or something like that. And I would have absolutely loved it because, you know, indie horror is is really cool. And it felt very 90s, even though it was 2007. <laughs> it felt very... 90s doom generation or something like that anyway that is the signal from 2007 this is the last episode of 2017 so that's pretty exciting (laughs) although we only started in october so it's not a huge deal (laughs) but it's the it's the last episode of 2017 it's actually going live new year's eve yep and next week, we'll still do another New Year's one. One more week of New Year's. One more week of New Year's. So, Kelsey, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching 1921's Whoa. The Phantom Carriage. Okay. By the way, yes, we are aware that there is a brewery in Long Beach area called The Phantom Carriage. We've been wanting to go there since the summer. Uh-huh. And we're probably going to go there soon to go and have lunch now that we're going to watch the movie. Yeah. And then our, our new movie is 2009's Lifeblood. Why do you say it like that, Kelsey? Because it doesn't look like it's going to be a good vampire movie. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, in the new year after this episode, I hope to get maybe a few more movies that we started off really strong, I think, with movies that people have heard of. Mm -hmm. And then we ended the year really strong with movies that you might not have been exposed to. So I'd like to get maybe back into more movies that people have actually heard of. Well, we're going to do it next month, which I'm sure a lot of people will be stoked to hear about. Yeah, great. All right, so in the meantime, you can feel free to email us at podcemetery at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. You can subscribe and rate us on iTunes and SoundCloud. I'm hoping to get us up on other services soon. Please do comment and rate. It does wonders for us. Until next time... My name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And as we say at the end of every episode of Pod Cemetery, change the way you look at things, and the things you look at change. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't want A Transformer is a real thing. <laughs> it's those giant electric boxes that you see everywhere. Those are Transformers. Do they have the all spark inside? <laughs>
Lá, 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 